For years, BreweryDB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery knowledge and responsible for mapping millions of visits to breweries all across the United States. In early 2021, BreweryDB revealed a whole new platform with all new features for craft lovers to plan their unique brewery experience. Find, filter, search, and route your way to breweries worldwide and in your own neighborhood. To take full advantage of the optimized power of BreweryDB and to increase your brew knowledge, visit BreweryDB.com, your digital destination for brewery experiences. Good Beer Matters shares the stories of craft and culture found in every glass, and I'm excited to announce that the Good Beer Matters podcast and BreweryDB are collaborating this year to help you get to the bottom of it. Visit us at BreweryDB.com and GoodBeerMatters.net to finally have the experience you've been missing. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. The headline said it all. Arizona has a new international culinary capital, and it's not us. It's a high bar to get over to get this type of international designation from the United Nations. Today, we are having a craft beer renaissance in Tucson. A rich culinary tradition is worth traveling to in order to experience the craft. But when that tradition stretches back thousands of years, it's likely to influence the culture and yes, even the beer of a region. My next guest not only studies these traditions, but helped implement the first UNESCO City of Gastronomy in the United States. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe. And one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 73 of Good Beer Matters with Dr. Jonathan Mabry, the executive director of Tucson City of Gastronomy. is kind of something a little bit different uh, than the norm. Um, I uh, recently, uh, in, in 2020, uh, I'll say recently, I uh, moved from uh, my home of Oregon for almost 20 years down to Southern Arizona and, uh, and got to experience a completely different culture. But along with that, there was something very special about the place that I moved to uh, that uh, was uh, uh, internationally renowned. And, uh, and it's all thanks to my next guest. Um, Dr. Mabry, thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. I'm uh, I, I'm anxious to uh, hear the story of, of what uh, you are in charge of now. Um, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, will you please uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background in uh, in Southern Arizona and uh, the the food, of course, and uh, and his beer as as much as it relates. Sure. So my background is as an archaeologist. And uh, I was working at the city of Tucson. I was the historic preservation officer when Dr. Gary Nabhan came to me with this idea of applying to UNESCO. Uh, that's the uh, United Nations Education, uh, Science, and Cultural Organization. Uh, 
to apply for Tucson to be designated as a creative city of gastronomy. And we worked on it for we for two years. We we applied in 2014, just missed the scoring cutoff in a letter from UNESCO. They told us that our application was very strong and we were on firm footing and urged us to reapply because no city has gotten it their first try. <laughs> so so we reapplied in 2015. Well, Do- Dr. Mabry, before... we're really pleased to get it in December of, of that year. Well, and before we dive into that story, I want to know a little bit more about uh, uh, who you are and uh, and where you are and and how and how you got to the point of uh, applying for the UNESCO. Well, like I said, uh, I'm, I'm an archaeologist, but I have also been involved in historic preservation and also um, the conservation of what UNESCO describes as intangible culture. So that means um, heritage that uh, is not uh, expressed um, as much physically as it is in terms of traditions. Okay. And and um, I guess I've always been a foodie, but uh, in my archaeological research, I have uh, been investigating the transition from hunting and gathering to agricultural societies in the southwestern U.S. and northwestern Mexico. And... Other excavations uh, that I've led uh, in downtown Tucson have uncovered evidence of other important transitions in Tucson's food history. So I've always been very attracted to um, Tucson's food story, if you will. Interesting. It's fascinating. And it is uh, one of the longest food stories in the United States because archaeologists uh, like me and and others have documented a continuous agricultural history in Tucson extending back more than 4,000 years. And that's the longest continuous agricultural uh, history that's been documented in the U.S. Well, and and, and you're also uh, doing this work, uh, but kind of home-based in Tucson, but at the U of A. If I, do I have that correct? Yes, I'm a researcher at the University of Arizona Desert Laboratory as uh, the executive director of the nonprofit organization managing Tucson's UNESCO designation as the first uh, designated city of gastronomy in the U.S. And um, and another uh, uh, important point to this story as a whole is: Are you a craft beer drinker? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's let's get to the bottom line here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, craft beer. Um, okay, so. Uh, 
so uh, and this is a, a new home for me, uh, completely cha a complete change of culture and where I'm from, where I'm from is all about the beer and the culinary prowess. But here I am and we start, um, I, you know, I learned that there was some um, designation through UNESCO and I knew that was a big deal. I knew it was unique, um, but I didn't understand exactly what that meant. But to kind of get a, a, a nice overview before we dive into the weeds, um, you, you kind of talked about UNESCO. Uh, to some extent, but uh, uh, from the standpoint of uh, UNESCO, what exactly is UNESCO? What does it uh, cover, and what does it mean to be a part of that? Yes, it's it's a very prestigious designation. It's it's Tucson's first international designation, and the designation means that we have an internationally significant food heritage and living food cultures that are uh, significant to all of humanity is what that designation means and and i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to wrap my brain around what you just said and i know we're going to unpack that in a little bit so i um but that that's a that's a big deal it is. It is. And it's and it's meant a great deal for Tucson. And, and we can get into uh, the positive impacts of the designation uh, later if you want to. I, I, I fully intend to. Um, I, I kind of want to tell the story starting at a, uh, a macro level, and we're going to work our way into um, kind of the brass tacks of what that designation has done for Tucson and Southern Arizona and, and and everything, um, but de so describing UNESCO, my understanding is um, it has to uh, it covers all manner of things. Obviously, uh, uh, cities of gastronomy, but um, art and history and tradition. Um, uh, you know, most most people have heard UNESCO in terms of a particular site of interest. At least that's where I've heard of it. Um, yeah, um, UNESCO is known to most people because of their world heritage sites. Mm -hmm. They designate both cultural and natural sites around the world that are considered to be of global significance. But in 2004, they started a new program called the Creative Cities Network. And that's an association of cities around the world designated in recognition of how they use cultural heritage and creativity for sustainable development. Mm. And a city may apply in one of seven different creative categories, including crafts and folk art, design, gastronomy, literature, film, media arts, and music. And Creative cities uh, use their designations uh, to not only benefit the community in terms of economic benefits, but to create sustainable futures for their communities and to support the cultural producers of their internationally recognized heritage. And they exchange knowledge and best practices with other cities in the network. That that's amazing. Um, it, it's uh, and and to have a a 
place like uh, and and forgive me if I have this wrong, but to have a place like Sydney, Australia, with the Opera House and for architecture, which I I want to say I think that was a UNESCO site. Maybe I'm wrong, but to have a place like that that the whole world knows about and we see in like eight out of ten movies, um, that that kind of makes sense. But to talk about um, creativity, whether it's music, art, or or specifically of gastronomy, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of. Uh, food documentaries on on uh, TV and everything. And so, you know, learning about these these uh, restaurants of particular note um, and these uh, areas that are known for their cuisine, that, that's one thing. But we're not talking about that sort of thing with this designation in Tucson Arby. We're talking about something way deeper. Yeah. Uh, most people, when they hear the word gastronomy, if, if, if they've in, encountered it, uh, before they know it's associated with cuisine, but UNESCO defines gastronomy much more broadly to mean living food cultures and food heritage. So unpack that for me: uh, living cultures and food heritage. What what does that mean exactly? So. Um, Her- intangible heritage it, it can be music traditions it can be um, all kinds of cultural traditions including food traditions that may have ancient roots but they are living heritages in other words they're very much uh, alive and thriving and central to the the people of a place. So uh, in Tucson, with our unparalleled food heritage in the U.S., uh, we have this multi-layered food heritage that is a blending of all the cultures that have lived here and arrived here. And so we have this unique cuisine based on this multicultural food heritage that extends back thousands of years. And I believe you uh, told me in a previous conversation, but also uh, just not too long ago on, on this podcast, I think you used um, the number 4,000 years of continuous um, uh, um, food heritage, or uh, I'm, I'm not sure how you word it, but but um, so that, uh, that, explain that. That's our yeah, sure. That's our agricultural history. Okay, which which ex- we have been continuously cultivating crops in this valley for more than four thousand years, and those crops are still grown here and are still ingredients in home kitchens and in restaurants. And just for the sake of a little bit of context, uh, you know, southern Arizona is very much a desert. And until I moved to Arizona, I just assumed it was a desert. The only thing that grew were cactuses and a few trees. But but what you're telling me and the rest of us is that is simply not true. It is It is lush with all sorts of different uh, plants and agricultural 
It, it, it is. It, it, it's, it's, it's a lush, high desert. And people can't grasp that until they come to visit. And they're surprised to see how lush and beautiful this part of the world is. And Tucson, its identity for more than 4,000 years was an irrigated agricultural oasis in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. But its food heritage, its food story goes back even farther because the Native Americans that lived here, that have lived here for many thousands of years have learned how to uh, harvest edible wild plants in the desert. And so our cuisine is not only this multicultural um, layered uh, cuisine it, 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 with all of these agricultural foods that go back centuries and, 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 and millennia, but it also includes these wild foods of the desert that go back many thousands of years farther. So what it sounds like to me, what we're really talking about is is kind of like a coalescence of of uh, endemic practices, of environmental um, offerings, if you will, um, a mixture of cultures as you know the Spanish and and Mexican culture since we're so close to the border. and then and then now we take all of that and refusing that with our modern culture and and how we're using it in new and modern ways. Do I have that about right? Yes, but but it's all built on um, it all started with Native American cultures that have lived here uh, a lot longer. So how do we, uh, how does that manifest today? I mean, you know, we, you know, some years ago we got this uh, designation as a creative city of gastronomy, but, you know, if we are looking to see how this cultural heritage manifests uh, and from a day-to-day basis, what, what would we be looking for? Like I said, um, when you go into home kitchens and restaurants in Tucson, you're likely to find some of um, these ingredients that have been used for centuries and even thousands of years. So we have a very vibrant restaurant scene here. And you, it includes not only traditional dishes of this region, of this borderlands region, but it also includes creative new dishes that are being invented by our chefs using these ancient ingredients. Interesting. So we're, we're continuing on. Uh, and, for, and for me, I got to bring this back to beer, but for me, beer was kind of the same way, globally speaking, where these are things that occurred thousands of years ago. Um, and, and different beer styles 
uh, came to be because of the culture, because of the environment, because of, you know, the region, you know, uh, kind of dictated what was going to be. Um, and, and they, well, for lack of better words, they tell a story of who we were as a people. Um, and I've, I've heard this before uh, in some books that tell me what someone eats and drinks and I'll tell you how they lived. Um, and, and it sounds like what you're talking about from the food standpoint down here, uh, we could apply that same thought process. You know, let me, let me tell you what it is we're eating and I'll tell you how we lived for the last 4,000 years. I've got a question for you. How are you engaging with your customers? Are you adding value or just vying for attention? If you have a business, then you are an authority and should be regarded as a partner in everyone's mutual success. But getting that message across in the first place, that's the trick. At Mountain Sea Media, I use education and storytelling to keep your brand on top of mind. So if you're done with ineffective marketing and want to create more impact, I want Mountain Sea Media to be your resource for high-value branded content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to explore the possibilities. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. Absolutely. Food is identity. And uh, especially since our UNESCO designation, Tucsonans, which is what we call each other that, that live here, um, they see our food heritage as a common source of identity that connects them to this place. Now, beer brewing was introduced, of course. You know, the European um, tradition of beer brewing was introduced. I don't know exactly when. I'm sure it was in the uh, late 1800s, if perhaps earlier. But today, we are having a craft beer renaissance in Tucson. We have we have more craft breweries per capita than Phoenix. Mm. And the inventiveness, the creativity of our craft brewers is amazing. And they are using ancient ingredients in some of their of their beers. For example, we're seeing a a, a revival of a heritage grain called white Sonora wheat that was introduced by the first European to visit this area more than 300 years ago. And that variety of wheat from the old world thrived here mm. and became an important crop for the Native Americans and for the Spanish colonial period settlers who moved into this area. And it, it, it almost disappeared in the around uh, the early 1900s. But in the last decade or so, it has uh, been uh, reintroduced. Uh, it never quite died out, but it, it, people uh, became aware of it again and started growing it again. And now it, it, it's it's one of our, uh, every year the 
the acreage of white Sonora wheat increases in this area. And bakers and craft brewers are using this heritage grain that's an important part of our food history to uh, make incredible uh, breads and incredible brews. So uh, they're making, you know, wheat beers with this white Sonoran wheat. And then other brewers are experimenting with the wild foods of the desert and um, doing infusions, for example, of, of the juice from the fruit of the cactus. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about white Sonoran wheat as a beer ingredient before. Um, I believe off the top of my head, I, I need to double check, but I've had a couple guests on the podcast uh, talk specifically about it. Um, I think it was uh, Rio Connolly and Niall Zachary of Mad Fritz. Um, I, I believe they were the ones that talked about how they want to get this ingredient. It tastes amazing. It's completely different. It's very uh, gives a tremendous sense of place, um, just the flavor that it produces. Um, but it's it's uh, hard to get hold of. Um, they, they don't make a ton of it. They don't grow a ton of it, I should say. Um, it, 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 you're right. The, the demand is is exceeding the supply right now, but uh, the farmers, um, especially uh, just north of uh, of Tucson in, in the the Marana farming uh, community, uh, are are growing more and more of it every year. Mm. Um. So, what was the process of when you when uh, you and and your uh, team of uh, people decided to okay, let's see if we can get this designation. What was the process? Um, to ultimately um, get the designation? Yeah, a, a group of us um, got together. Um, most most of that group, uh, we've been colleagues for, for decades and have worked on different things together. But we collaborated and uh, brainstormed, and we conducted an inventory of what you could call our food assets, the food assets of this community. And by the time we were done making that inventory, we were, we, we surprised ourselves. Uh, we, you know, had general ideas about, oh, there's lots of community and school gardens. There's, um, several seed banks here that are conserving a large number of desert-adapted plant seeds. There are uh, innovative programs that are distributing uh, these seeds to the community. There are other programs that are teaching how to uh, grow desert-adapted plants, food plants, and how to cook with them uh, to make healthy food and, and, and so forth. But by the time we were done making that inventory and we saw the breadth and depth of our community food assets, 
we were amazed. And so then the challenge was, how can we put all of that into the few pages of the application to UNESCO? <laughs> so we had to we had to pick examples. We could, we couldn't list everything, but um, like I said, it was it was. It was, it was a difficult process. Uh, they, they didn't make it easy, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a high bar to get over to get this type of international designation from the United Nations. And uh, But by the time we had put together the second application, again, uh, a team effort, we uh, had a very strong application and... Uh, we didn't know who the reviewers of the application were at the time. It included not only UNESCO staff based in Paris, but it also included outside food ex experts from around the world. And I've had a couple of people uh, come up to me at, at, at conferences in, in, in different cities around the world and tell me, hey, I was one of the reviewers of Tucson's application, and it it really surprised me. I had no idea that there is this incredible food heritage in the southwest desert of the U.S., and they mentioned some things that stood out from our application. They remembered it, you know, years oh, wow. later. So... Um, yeah, I mean, we we just had to figure out how best to describe the unique food heritage here, the ingredients that make up our desert terroir, and provide examples of the many innovative approaches to improving our local food system. And it, it seems, you know, kind of uh, the reviewer kind of spoke to something I said earlier where I, you know, I didn't know much about Southern Arizona. I just kind of assumed, uh, you know, growing up and growing up in Southern California, it was like, okay, we live on the ocean, but Arizona, it's all desert. Um, so it seems like, uh, particularly in this case, uh, Southern Arizona, Tucson is a very well-kept secret. Um, and I'm afraid with uh, your UNESCO uh, uh, designation and maybe with this podcast that the, that the, uh, that the story might get out. And, and you know, uh, having seen uh, how many people flock to Southern California, maybe we want to keep this a secret. Maybe we shouldn't tell people about all this. <laughs> Um, cause otherwise, you know, it may, uh, go astray, but, um, but, uh, after, after we received the designation, uh, a national food journalist told one of our, uh, board members who works at our visitors and convention bureau that with this designation, Tucson has changed from unknown to undiscovered. <laughs> I, well, I think I mentioned to you, I, I first learned uh, uh, Tucson was on my radar with family uh, moving to the area 
Um, but the the fact that Tucson was a significant city of cuisine and and now I understand of uh, UNESCO uh, creative city of gastronomy, I first learned about that on a little um, uh, mini promo documentary type thing, uh, sitting on a plane watching a screen. Um, I was kind of curious about Tucson and I watched it, and that's when I first heard about this. And so that's how that's how uh, the word is getting out from from my experience. It, it's it's getting pretty far and wide. Yes, uh, people are often surprised when they first learn about it. And uh, frankly, our uh, big big brother to the north, uh, Phoenix, uh, I think they're jealous <laughs> of, 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 this, of this type of uh, uh, accolade for a much smaller city of Tucson and, and, and its southern Arizona. Food shed. <laughs> right after the designation, there was um, a big media splash. There were a lot of articles in the in the national media and international media. But I remember within the first week uh, after the designation, one of the one of the most memorable uh, articles came out in the Phoenix Business Journal. And the headline said it all. The headline was, Arizona has a new international culinary capital, and it's not us. <laughs> um, so you kind of start talking about the economic and the cultural impact that this designation has had. Um, uh, can we dive a little bit deeper into that? I mean, what is sure. that? What does that meant? I mean, okay, so now we're we're on the global map for sure. Um, and when I first moved here, people told me about a little bit of a rivalry between Phoenix and Tucson, and I'm just starting to get a sense of that. But, but in the grand scheme of things, what does that mean as a culture? What does that mean as as you know dollars for those people who like? What's the bottom line? Yeah, the the designation has had significant positive economic impacts here. Uh, since the designation, uh, the amount of, me of media coverage uh, that is promoting tourism to Tucson, and specifically culinary tourism to Tucson, has really blown up. The uh, local visitor and 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 and, and um, Convention Bureau is called Visit Tucson, and they calculate every year the total value of media coverage promoting tourism to Tucson that they didn't have to purchase. Mm. And several years before the designation, that was averaging about $5 million of unpaid media value each year the first year after the designation it was more than 15 million oh wow and that it and that increase had mostly to do with the unesco designation and it hasn't stopped um just this year this strange year we're in before the pandemic hit there was another half dozen articles in national and international media uh, 
about Tucson and its UNESCO City of Gastronomy designation. The other ways we've seen the economic benefits of the designation include our annual food and drink festivals, our culinary festivals, which have increased by a third, by more than 30% since the designation. The number of annual food and drink festivals in Tucson is now 56 a year. And just in 2019, there were 13 new annual culinary festivals added to the calendar. The, another way we can measure the impacts is interest in uh, new food business startups focused on heritage foods of this region. And though the number, we did an inventory in 2019 and we counted, I think it was about 140 unique regional food products that are only made here. And a quarter of those, 25% of those are new food businesses or new food products by existing businesses. The restaurant scene is, before the pandemic, was just thriving. And, and like I said, uh, we're becoming well-known as a culinary destination. So uh, I think an important question is, so all of that has been great for the city, for the region, uh, for the people looking to uh, make money off of this, but has there been a, uh, a, a negative effect on the uh, indigenous culture and the uh, food heritage at all? No, I think it, I think it has uh, really supported a revival in indigenous foods and interest in wild desert foods and these ancient crops. And I think it's, it's been positive for residents of this region, the cultures of this region, because it has made them feel that their food cultures are, are valued, that uh, and and it's ensured the survival of those very old food traditions that, that could have died out. Hmm. So let, we started talking about beer, and this is a beer podcast. Let's let's get back to beer. Um, how has uh, all of this that we've been talking about? How has that impacted beer? I mean, we talked about some brewers down here are using more uh, of of some of these uh, endemic ingredients to get a real terroir of of the Southwest and specifically Southern Arizona. 
but um, tell tell me more about uh, what what people are doing with beer and the economic impact that has had. Well, the the number of um, craft breweries has rapidly increased. Uh, I mean, it, it was already uh, growing rapidly before the designation, but it's really picked up since the designation. I think before the designation, we we had somewhere between a dozen and 15 uh, local craft breweries. And now, just in the Tucson metro area, we have 26. Mm. Um, and what, what, what I find interesting is the, co- <clears throat> the collaborations that are developing among these local independent craft brewers. For example, uh, Fire Fire Truck Brewing Company, which was formerly known as Sentinel Peak Brewing Mm -hmm. Company, uh, has collaborated with Borderlands Brewing, and they've opened a jointly operated much larger facility together and and that's been interesting to see and and borderlands has done a number of collaborations with craft brewers in sonora mexico Mm. in in 2018 they they collaborated with a uh, brewery in hermosillo sonora to make a special beer together called Beer Without Borders. And then in, in 2019, um, just uh, actually December of last year, uh, and, and, and there was a um, collaboration of all female craft brewers from Tucson and Sonora who collaborated to make a a beer together that they called Las Hermanas. Mm. I think I uh, I think I read about that some time ago. That's 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 awesome. So, you know, they I think that the uh, UNESCO designation has helped put Tucson on the map in always culinary, but also our craft beer scene as well, and it's leading to these cross-border collaborations. It's uh, galvanizing creativity of our local craft brewers, and they're even working together to uh, develop new business models and uh, new uh, partnerships that, that, and, 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 and new beers. So it's been interesting to, to watch. That's that's incredible. Um, I'm I'm so glad I'm here now to learn about this and then see this process um, uh, occur right in front of our eyes. Um, but if there are so, this, I want to get a little bit of uh, advice from you. Um, if there are any 
cities uh, or entities out there in uh, other parts of the world, especially the U.S., that might have an interesting story of their own to tell, uh, much like uh, we do down here in southern Arizona. Um, what advice would you have uh, to, to give them um, uh, as, as they start looking into a UNESCO designation? Well, it starts with looking inward and taking stock of their assets. What, what, what do they have right now? And what are the trends? What are the, the trajectories of their food and drink scenes? And if they think that it is internationally unique, then they should um, pursue this type of designation. For example, San Antonio, Texas, after they saw Tucson get this designation, they decided that they have enough uh, significant food heritage and food assets that they should apply. Mm. And so, so we actually helped them with their application. We gave them advice, um, and uh, they were successful. And they received designation a couple of years ago as the second UNESCO Creative City of Gastronomy in the U.S. And we're the only two. That's it's interesting. It, it, it's interesting that it's that it's all in our uh, border region too. Well, and you you really got my wheels turning. I think about um, some of the places that I'm aware of in the U.S. that are known for their music, for their food, um, um, all around the U.S. And I'm thinking, well, w wait a minute, why? Why isn't there more of this out there? And hopefully, with your help, um, there will be. But um, well, there's there's nine UNESCO creative cities in the U.S. Kansas City. What do you think of? You think of barbecue, but what else? I think of a brewery out there, but <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> they're jazz. They're jazz music, mm. and so they receive designation as a creative city of music. And Seattle and Iowa City were designated as cities of literature. Mm. And Santa Fe, Santa Fe and Paducah, Kentucky, were designated as cities of crafts and folk art. Crafts and folk art. Oh, yeah. And um, Detroit is a city of design. Mm. Austin is a city of media arts. That's, so, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and these are all things that um, I, there's a lot of people that just don't know this, but we've, we've got reason to kind of celebrate and raise our glass and say, hey, this is pretty awesome. And this just gives an extra layer when we are finally able to go travel uh, again um, instead of uh, just kind of looking for the best brewery and best restaurant uh, and some um, – a tourist attraction for for my kids. Uh, these are things that we need to start looking out for and kind of learning more about our mixed American heritage. That's right. I, I think there there could be uh, uh, you know how some people uh, challenge themselves to visit 
every uh, national park. Mm-hmm. I, I think that a new challenge should be to visit all of the UNESCO creative cities in the U.S. I agree. That would be incredible and so educational and fascinating all at the same time. Um, uh, so I, I want to kind of uh, wind down a little bit now. Um, uh, and uh, we just received the vote is in. Uh, you have been nominated and um, voted into being uh, king of the beer world for a day. Uh, what would you, <laughs> what, what would you change? What would I change? Oh gosh. Um, I think that our craft beer brewers, should apply to get the the recognition of being certified Tucson City of Gastronomy beer artisans. Mm. And and that's actually a thing (laughs) that we've started this year. We uh, are, uh, last year we started certifying restaurants in Tucson and Southern Arizona and this year, we've expanded that to include certifications of food and beverage artisans. And we actually ha- are taking applications right now until January 8th. And we have already received some applications from some of our top craft brewers uh, to get this certification. Mm, fantastic. And when this airs, it will likely be in 2021. So this will be in preparation for uh, being uh, considered for 22, if I if I'm doing the the schedule right. But um, but is it usually the end of the year when you uh, take applications for these sort of things within It'll, Southern Arizona? So, yeah. So th- this will be for certification uh, for the year 2021. Okay. And and so uh, when this releases, it'll be after the uh, the uh, submission date. So so we'll be looking ahead. Um, but I'll have a uh, uh, links in the show notes for all that. Um, uh, so I, I think you'll like this next question. Um, if you could choose your very last beer and your very last meal before you depart this earth, what would they be? <laughs> well, um, hmm. boy, I sure like. Um... The, the special carne seca that's unique to Tucson. It's dried in the sun, and it's flavored with chili peppers and onions, and it, it, it's been reconstituted when you cook with it, and it has this incredible flavor and texture that I love. So it would probably be some carne seca with a... Uh, my go-to among the local brews is a uh, uh, Dragoon IPA. Mm. Excellent. Uh, and then, be, being a beer drinker, but with all of the studies and the kind of uh, life experience you have, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of twist this question around to kind of make it fit this situation a little bit more, but why does good beer matter? Or in your case, why does good food matter as well? Well, it, it, it's, it's one of the joys of life, isn't it? And it, it does connect us to place and the past and makes us feel like we're part of something bigger. 
and something special and unique. So the flavors of Tucson and its Sonoran Desert setting are not only unique, but they're delicious. And I, I love the food here. And apparently a lot of people love the food here because we've been recognized as the very first city in the U.S. Uh, for our special food cultures and food heritage and desert terroir. Mm. Uh, I and I'm I'm new to the area. I'm definitely a newbie, but I'm a big fan of food, and so far I have not been disappointed. Um, granted, there's a lot of restaurants that are closed or just not completely accessible, and we're trying not to get out more than we should right now, but. Uh, when COVID kind of settles down, I'm I'm really looking forward to eating out more than I do now. Well, if it's still going on when uh, this show is broadcast, uh, I urge your listeners to give business to local restaurants, local independent restaurants. Help keep them alive till we get to the other side of this thing. Agreed. Agreed. Um, if, if any of the any of my listeners uh, are curious and want to learn a little bit more, want to reach out to you or or, or kind of connect with the whole UNESCO thing, uh, where can they connect and, and learn more? Yeah, they should visit our website, tucson.cityofgastronomy.org. Perfect. And I will have that in the show, uh, show notes as well. If anyone can just kind of click on there and head toward it. Um, and uh, last question, um, do you have any final words of wisdom or any calls of action uh, for anyone listening? Well, uh, not only uh, vote with your wallets at our local independent restaurants, but also our amazing local craft breweries. That sounds like great advice. I, I think uh, I will try and do that very soon. Um, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing the story. I, I think it you know didn't fit perfectly into the the beer podcast thing I have going on, but it was just so fascinating that I, I had to uh, include it somehow. But thank you so much for coming on and and sharing the story with us. Thanks for having me. It, it's been fun to talk to you today, and uh, I look forward to checking out your other podcasts please do. Uh, you can find them at uh, goodbeermatters.net. But uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. I'll see you around at one of the breweries. Words like tradition or heritage may seem in direct opposition to words like innovation or progress, but they don't have to be. There's a way to respect the past while respecting our future at the same time. Thank you to Dr. Mabry and the entire team for showing us the way. In the next episode, we visit a former guest to learn the steps on how to start a new brewery or taproom as we emerge out of the pandemic. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. 
After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.